You got me? Oh, man. All right, everybody strapped in? <clears throat> All right, I just want to remind you where we left off. Verse 20 last time, Daniel 11, verse 20. I told you about Antiochus Third, <clears throat> focusing his attention on the Mediterranean coast and the islands, which brought him into conflict with the Romans. Daniel chapter 11 is like reading your history book. So if you go through Daniel chapter 11, all the way, we're going we're gonna to go to verse 35 tonight. And then from verse 35, we're going to be looking future. All Everything that we've seen so far is a type of the final kingdom, the last king on earth before Jesus Christ returns. And if you remember, Daniel, the book of Daniel begins when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Everybody remembers a dream. So we got to make sure we keep that dream of Nebuchadnezzar in the forefront of our mind. Kingdoms passing, head of gold, chest of silver, right? Uh, body of bronze, legs of iron. You have Babylon, Medo-Persian, Grecian, which is where we are right now in the Grecian Empire, that's just about ready to flip into Rome. So Antiochus III, this is not the main Antiochus, we're going to meet him tonight. Antiochus III, he gets drawn into a conflict where he runs into Rome. Rome is like the, the young contender on the block looking to become champion of the world. And the Grecian empires are starting. Remember, Greece is divided into four empires. Jonathan, you want to throw that picture up real quick? If you guys remember, Alexander the Great's kingdom divided into four parts. You see four different colors up there. So you have Macedonia, Thrace, you have Egypt, and then you have the king of the north, which basically is called the king of Syria. That's the green part. Okay, and if you remember last time, I told you, when the Bible talks about the king of the north, it's not talking about Russia. You see the king of the north. Russia is above the Black Sea. So it doesn't mean Russia can't be a player, obviously. In the world today, there's a whole bunch of other countries that can be involved. But when the Bible's talking, it's talking about the king of Syria. He's the king of the north, king of Egypt. He's the king of the south. You guys with me? So you have Antiochus and the Seleucids north, the Ptolemies in the south. So if you hear Ptolemy 1, Ptolemy 2, Ptolemy 3, Ptolemy 4, Ptolemy 10, Ptolemy 96, that's Egypt. Seleucid 1, 2, 3, 4, Antiochus 1, 2, 3, 4, north. Okay? So Daniel 11's focused main, mainly on the green and the brown. Now, the very top of the brown, right where the brown's next to the green, you guys see that part? That's Israel. So every time these two guys fight, they end up going through Israel. And so there's times when the Seleucids are going to be in control and Israel would be green. And then there's times when the Ptolemies are in control and Israel will be brown. So they keep going back and forth. You keep seeing this twist happening so this is all the third part of nebuchadnezzar's statue greece is about to become the roman empire okay there's about to be a shift you're going to understand hopefully you're going to understand a little bit more about the shift and the world at the time of christ as we continue to work our way through daniel chapter 11 so 
Antiochus III gets in a, pecks a fight, gets in a fight with Rome. Rome whoops him. I'm trying to make this simpler. Hopefully you understand my words. Rome whoops Antiochus III, puts him under a heavy taxation, which means the northern kingdom, Syria, is having a hard time coming up with the gold to keep Rome off their back. They want to stay free, trying to conquer the world, but they keep having to give money to Rome. Part of the treaty, he sends his son to live in Rome. Antiochus III, his son, is Antiochus IV. That's the bad guy. He's the younger son. The older son, the crown prince, stays with dad. Okay? So Antiochus III, he's going to fade away, but you still have this treaty with Rome, this heavy duty that's got to be paid. So the son of Antiochus III, this is not confusing at all, his name is Seleucus IV. I know, sorry. I can't tell you. They, they do what they do. So Seleucus IV gets a tax collector. We talked about this last time right at the end. He gets a tax collector. The tax collector goes out to try to raise money to pay Rome. The Bible talks about this in verse 20. So he goes out to, to collect taxation. He goes, remember we talked about it, he went to go take gold from the temple. And he had a vision of angels, so he stopped and decided not to do that. And he ultimately decides, I don't like this guy, Seleucus IV. So the tax collector poisons him. Okay. Right before Seleucus IV is poisoned, he has two sons. Another Antiochus, because it's not confusing to name your kids all the same thing for generation after generation. And the older child's name is Demetrius. Demetrius is the crown prince, but Seleucus wants his brother, Antiochus IV, with him. So he sends his oldest son, Demetrius, who's just a child, to Rome. So Rome's going to raise him. He'll be raised in Rome just like Antiochus was. Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epi uh, um, Epiphanes, he's raised in Rome. He's going to come to his father. Well, you come back to Seleucus. So on his way back to Seleucus, he's, you know, free. So he's checking out stuff. He's taking his time. By the time he comes, his brother's dead. So Antiochus IV kills the tax collector and marries Seleucus's wife and chooses to become the ward or guardian for the crown prince so he can rule in his stead so that's how Antiochus gets the throne he's not in line to have the throne he gets it by intrigue if you look at Daniel eleven twenty one, it says in his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given Antiochus IV was not in line for rulership he's not part of the lineage but he's a conniving trickster he's a guy who has all the always there's a deal somewhere behind the scenes you're going to see through this whole this whole period it says he will come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries the bible wrote this 300 years before it happened so you are 
seeing the things Daniel wrote and hearing the history of how they line up. And when we look at this, one of the things we want to recognize is God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going on. The kingdoms that he talked about, right? They're always shifting. Even, even, though, even after Rome, what's happening to the kingdoms? Is there any eternal kingdom made of men? There is one eternal kingdom. Whose is it? God's kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, right? That's the eternal kingdom. Every other one is shifting just like these that Daniel talked about. What do you, what's in the news today? Russia's hitting Ukraine, and we all want to say how innocent and, and wonderful and marvelous Zelensky is, but he's just big a crook as Putin, just so you know. So how do I know? Because he's in politics, So one of the first things he did when Russia invaded is he got rid of all his, uh, all, all the voices against him. So, you know, like in the U.S., we have blue and red. I don't know what their version is in Ukraine, but there isn't one anymore because all those voices have been silenced. So <clears throat> the, don't think, don't fall for the, the propaganda that says this is an all good guy. Uh we we've, we've even we even jokingly it's a joke I'm not serious jokingly we say Zelensky's going to be a type of the Antichrist because everybody loves that guy but he's a little dirty under the underneath you know he's got his own schemes right so that's what the that's what Antiochus is like he looks great on the outside oh he's coming in he's helping out where his brother died and he avenged his brother's killer and. And now he's in control, and I'm sure none of that was for himself at all. And so you have, the, you have this same kind of attitude. What's the Bible say? The Bible says of his character that he's vile, contemptible. He's not a good guy. He looks good. He's not a good guy. He is going to go by the name Theos Epiphanes. On his coins, the coins Antiochus mints, Antiochus the fourth he puts theos epiphanies on it which means god manifests in the flesh so he thinks a lot of himself right he thinks a lot of himself the contemporaries the guys running around him they call him epimanus they call him antiochus epimanus because epimanus means madman they say he's crazy yeah so this, if you are ever involved in any political intrigue, you've got to be going, oh, yeah, this is, this is par for the course, right? This is all par for the course. So by intrigue and maneuvering, he gains the throne. Look at verse 22. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he will act deceitfully and shall become strong with a small people. He's going to be famous for his conflicts and his craftiness. So he's, he's not a dumb guy, but he's always got a deal working. So with one hand, he's promising you something. With the other hand, he's stabbing you in the back. You guys get the picture? This is the kind of character that he is. The scripture says that he even breaks the prince of the covenant. This is important because at this time, during the end of the Grecian Empire... This is the first time the political power over Israel decides who the high priest is going to be. The high priest was a guy named Onias III. 
But he was a supporter of the Ptolemies, not the northern king. And Antiochus IV, he's a northern king. He doesn't need somebody in control and in power in Jerusalem who's opposed to him. So he's going to depose him. He's going to toss the high priest out. When Jesus comes, there are, there's a high priest that's not serving till death, right? You have Annas, who was a high priest earlier, and Caiaphas' son-in-law. And why are they the high priest? Because they're following the biblical uh, a model for how a high priest is chosen? No. Who put them in power? Rome. Uh, Antiochus IV is the first one who does that. He's going to take Onias out. He's going to put his brother, I think his name is Joshua. They're going to put him in. And then Joshua's just, he's got another brother. So apparently all these guys are just as crooked as one another. Because you know what the, some wise guy once said, he said, power corrupts. You guys ever seen anything like that? So you have brother against brother. They have a brother named Menelaus. Menelaus says, look. I'll support you even better than my brother Joshua. So they get rid of Joshua and they put Menelaus in. And Menelaus is serving as a high priest. And while he's serving as a high priest, Onias, who's been thrown out of the country, starts making a noise about, man, we need to get rid of Antiochus. This is no good. So they kill him. So he's gone. So the Bible told us 300 years before it happened, even the prince of the covenant, the prince, the the ruler over the covenant. Who's in charge of the covenant over Israel? Israel didn't have a president, didn't have a king. What did Israel have? High priest. So they took the high priest out. They deposed him and ultimately killed him and made all these deceitful deals to change the power structure in Israel. So when Christ comes, that's still the model. Rome is putting in a high priest. It's not someone... That's, that's coming up through the priesthood like it was in the Old Testament. It's become a political position now. It goes to the highest bidder. Who can help Rome the best? Who can help Antiochus the best? Who can help Ptolemy the best? This is how they begin to do things. So he does this. Uh, it says, without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done. So he is going to do something nobody had ever done before. He's a crafty little bugger. So he invades all the way down into Egypt. He has a good victory down there. And as he goes down in Egypt, is wealthy. Remember, Egypt in this time in the world is the breadbasket of the world. So if you control Egypt, that's everybody's food. That's also the trade route, right, between Egypt and Babylon. Whoever controls the trade route gets the money. And so he's got control of Egypt he goes down there and he plunders them and he gives the plunder to the people he does what his fathers and his father's father nobody else ever did you know Bernie Sanders is not the first guy who thought of this Antiochus the fourth after he conquers he takes that plunder now keep in mind what did I tell you about him he's always working a deal right Ain't no different than Bernie Sanders. You know Bernie Sanders don't drive a Toyota, right? You guys know that, right? He's got a Lamborghini. So you guys got Lamborghinis? No, weird. I don't know. Do you want to equalize our, our all our? Shouldn't we all 
We should take money from the rich. I don't see him giving any money up. Anyways, I digress. Antiochus has the same plan. So he gives the spoil to the people. Okay, it says, it says then, but he will not. Um, let me go, let me go, let me go, let me go. Did I go too far? I went too far. Let me back up. Uh, without warning, he will come to the richest parts of the province down in Egypt. He will do what his fathers and fathers' fathers have done. Uh, scatter among them the plunder, spoil, and goods. He will devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. So every human ruler, since the beginning of human rulers for mankind, can only do what they do for a time. It's only however long God will allow it. And one kingdom shifts to the next. One kingdom shifts to the next. All the way back in Genesis 11, you have the first picture of the kingdom in rebellion against God. You guys remember a guy named Nimrod? And all the people are gathered together with one voice against God. They are, they are against the Lord. And so God, God changes language. You remember? He confuses their language. The people break into groups. It, it devolves the unity that they had between the men. It devolves that and you see nations scatter. And ever since then, there's been talk about when the world comes together under a ruler. Like when the world came together around Egypt and the world came together around Assyria. And then the world came together around Babylon. And then the world came together around Medo-Persia. And then the world came together around Greece. And then the world came together around Rome. And after Rome, the world came together around the Turks. And the world came together around the Britons. And the world came together around the U.S. It all ends the same way. There will be a day when it's the last king and the last kingdom. And that guy we call the Antichrist. Okay? Now, when he's conquered, the final kingdom is an eternal kingdom. That's Jesus. Okay? So, prophetically, we're looking for the day when it will be the last round of these things. It'll be the last round. Jesus will come and conquer the return of the king, the establishment of his kingdom, new heaven, new earth. We all live happily ever after. Hallelujah. Amen? So that's what we're looking for. All these others are shadows, pictures of that same event. And this guy that we're going to focus into tonight, Antiochus, he is an example of what that final king is like. Backstabber, backroom deal maker, doesn't keep his word. Which makes him sound like almost every politician I've ever heard of. So let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at it. It says only for a time. Verse 25. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army. But he shall not stand for plots shall be devised against him. The king of the south is now run by one brother, one Ptolemy, but he has another brother. There's always another brother in the works who's not in control. And so what do you think Antiochus does? He calls the other brother. Well, he doesn't call him, but you get the idea. He gets information to the other brother. Look, if you help me against your brother, I'll put you in charge. And so what did the Bible say? The Bible says there's mighty armies. He's going to come against them, but he's going to lose because of plots. There's going to be a plot, one brother against another brother. So the real winner is Antiochus. 
and the real loser is the king of the south. Listen to what it says in verse 26. For those who eat his food shall break him. So the one who eats his food, his own brother is going to come against his army will be swept away. Many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, listen to this. Their hearts will be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table. You guys ever heard of peace talks? They sit around the table, talking peace. And the Bible says when these guys gather together, just know they're going to sit around the table. Same guys. That king didn't get killed. The brother who stuck him in the back, he's at the table. The king who lost, he's at the table. Antiochus is at the table. And they're all evil. They're all wicked. They're all looking for power. And they're all telling each other lies. Which is... It's every political movie you've ever watched in your life. No? Every story of... What do we talk about nowadays? Who... Think back. Who killed the JFK? Well, I don't think it was. It's probably us, right? When we get to the story, it's going to be somebody who wanted the power, right? Probably somebody who knew him and stuck him in the back, made a deal. Oh, I won't do that, and then did it. We look at our history. What, what about the Bay of Pigs? What's the Bay of Pigs? We we promised the Cuban uh, re, re, uh, rebels our support. And they started the rebellion, and they said, hey, we need help. And what do we do? No. We just let them, we just let them slaughter them. Somewhere, we sat around the table, made a deal, and then we didn't back it up. With Ukraine, I've shared with you guys, a few years ago, Ukraine had nukes. When Ukraine had nukes, you think Russia was going to invade? But NATO said, you know, you guys shouldn't have nukes. So they said, okay, we'll give up our nukes, but you gotta, you got to help us if somebody invades. You guys seen any help? Well, like we're sending money. Somebody's getting rich. Right? We don't actually believe that that's all bullets going in their guns, right? This is the world of man. It's corrupt. It's broken. It's sinful. What's the cure? Jesus is the cure. So these guys are all going to lie around the table. They're going to lie to one another. But listen to what it says. For the end is yet to be at the time appointed. So God sets the boundaries of the nations. You guys catch that? So you, we look sometimes and we say, why, is this, why do these people get to, to have the success they're having? Or why do those people... God sets the boundaries, and he sets the times. When everybody's crooked, there's no good, by, there's, there's no good guy in the story. I know we always want to look at ourselves as the good guys. But our politicians are just as corrupt and just as crooked as the next guys. You and I, we may have a different king, right, and a different... Um, a, di a different uh, attitude toward how we should treat one another. But is that everyone? Everyone doesn't have that, do they? We look forward to that king. He sets the dates and the times. Look at verse 28. And he shall return to, the, to his land with great wealth, but his heart is going to be set against the holy covenant. Now when Antiochus, this is after the victory, when he comes back through Israel, he decides, you know what, I'm going to straighten these guys are backwards. 
they're a bunch of Hebrew worshipers, and I'm going to, see if you've ever heard this word, Hellenize them. He's going to bring Greek culture into Israel and bring the Hellenistic culture to Israel. Change these backward people who are worshiping these, this weird God, and he's going to start to inter, in, interject Greek culture. Now, at the time of Christ, when Christ comes, he goes down to the Galilee, the area of the Decapolis. By the way, the word Decapolis is a Greek word. The ten cities. It's called, remember, it's called uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. And so he's going to go to that area to bring the light to the Gentiles. Just like the Old Testament scripture discussed, he's going to be bringing that truth. Really, the culture of Jesus Christ is at war with all the cultures of the world. But here, Antiochus is going to is going to change their attitude. So he sets his sights on Israel on his way back home. He goes into Israel and he marches in and he decides he's going to plunder the temple and he's going to get these guys kind of straightened out. So this is the first time he comes through to mess, uh, to mess with Israel. His heart will be set against the people of the, whole, of the Holy Covenant and he will work his will and then return to his own land. So he's going he's gonna to build them a, a gymnasium. He's going to build them Greek schools. He's going to put together the whole purpose of all of that is to change the culture. Do you recognize that today we are losing a culture war as believers in Jesus Christ through the same methods? So... Antiochus looks good, man. He comes in and says, I got a great plan. Let me build you a, a gymnasium. And what happens at the gymnasium? You go there to work out. Plus, you go there to be educated. And we're going to run free education. But the education is Greek. So you're going to learn the Greek language. You're going to learn Greek uh, ideology. You're going to learn about the Greek gods. You're going to become Greek. So he sets us up, and this begins... And then the scripture tells us, it says, And at the appointed time he shall return and come to the south. But it won't be like it was before. So remember the first time he worked a deal with one of the brothers, and that brother helped his, uh, stabbed his other brother in the back. Well, those two brothers have made peace. And they have decided, you know, this whole thing started because of that dirty dog, the king of the north. That guy. So they kind of come together. So he makes a third expedition down into Egypt. He gets money every time he goes. Why not? Let's go down there again. But the Bible says it won't be like it was before. And then in verse 30 it says, For ships of Kittim shall come against him. Uh, some of the Bibles might say ships from Cyprus. Uh, it doesn't make any difference. That sometimes the names of cities change and and the translator go with one name another translator another name i'm going to tell you who the ships are the king of the south was tired of antiochus whooping him so he called the next bully on the block what was his name rome he called rome so the roman navy hears about antiochus going they're already in port waiting for Antiochus to show up. So Antiochus shows up and them ships come along the, the, uh, the shoreline and are just 
demolishing the armies of Antiochus. Rome whoops them. But Rome's not done. It says, he shall be afraid and withdraw and turn his back. So what's going to happen is he's going to meet this guy, uh, Populus Lanus. I'm not very good at Latin names. But that's the admiral. And he's going to walk over to Antiochus in front of his army. And he's going to hand him something from the Roman Senate, which says, cease and desist. We're done with you. We're tired of you. It's, it's, this is over. If you don't agree to this, I'm going to put you in a box. Do you want to go in a box? Or do you want to agree? And Antiochus says, well, wait, I need to talk to my guys. And while he's saying this in front of his whole army, his whole army's all gathered there. People can hear what's going on, right? This uh, admiral for Rome pulls out a stick and draws a circle around Antiochus IV and says, you agree before you get out of that circle. Give me your word before you get out of the circle. So he is humiliated in front of his army and he has to leave with his tail between his legs. So he's super ticked and he has to pass through Jerusalem on his way home. And this is where all the chaos happens. Originally, Antiochus looks like he's trying to modernize the Jew and he's there to try to help him. Now, we know that's not his heart, but that's how it looks. This time when he shows up, it ain't about that. He just is, he's mad. He wants to destroy everything. It says, he shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Now, this is, you notice how God uses the term, to those who forsake. Nobody in, in Israel is complaining about all these, this political intrigue. They're picking whichever side looks like they're going to win. They're trying to get ahead too. They're not upset that the high priest has been changed out. or They don't care. They're trying to become modern. They're trying to leave behind all these things. So now the Lord says, of those guys, they're the ones who have forsaken the covenant. They've forsaken the holy covenant. So he comes back through there, maybe looking for some support, maybe looking for some gold, maybe looking for somebody he can take his bad attitude out on. It says in verse 31, um, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and the fortress will take away the regular burnt offering and they will set up the abomination that makes desolate. We're going to hear about that again, right? So what is this? He's going to come to the temple. He's mad. He's going to plunder the temple. He's going to set up a statue to Zeus in the temple, in the, in the Holy of Holies. He's going to sacrifice a pig on the altar. He's going to pour pig's blood all over the place. He's going to defile everything all around the temple. He's going to He's going to, to make worship to the God of Bacchus, the God of wine. He's just going to do every abominable thing he can imagine there in Israel. When all of that occurs, guess what? Israel says, hey, this guy's not for us. Does it sound familiar? So it says... Uh, um, in verse 32, he will seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. 
And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, captivity and plunder. So there are some people there in Israel who are going to stand. They're going to get the nickname of the Maccabeans. You ever heard of them? There's two books of the... Uh, of the uh, it's, Catholic, it's in the Catholic Bible, but they are books of the Apocrypha. They're historical books that talk about this time period called First and Second Maccabees. They tell you about the battles that took place and all the things that Daniel's talking about in Daniel 11. Maccabee means hammer. So they call them the hammer. They begin the rebellion against Antiochus. So they're going to start to rebel. They're not going to want to surrender to him anymore. You guys know that on December, I think it's December 14th, 164 B.C., the Maccabeans gained control of the temple. There's no oil in the temple, and the miracle of Hanukkah takes place, which is still celebrated around the time of Christmas. That comes from this, these battles. That whole thing, in fact, Jesus celebrates Hanukkah in, I want to say, John chapter 8. It's the festival of lights in the Gospel of John. So the, the Maccabeans are going to, to begin to fight. It says, when they stumble, they will receive a little help. Many shall join themselves to them with flattery. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. For it still waits for the appointed time. So what happens? They, they begin this battle against Antiochus. But the bottom line is, Antiochus has another battle going on in the east. So you guys ever heard that thing about you shouldn't fight a battle on two fronts? Have we learned that from history? What happens if you fight a, fight a war on two fronts? You're going to lose one of them. So the problem is, Antiochus IV, he's got another war in the east he can't... He can't take his attention away from so this rebellion in judea is gaining traction now the judeans they really like the ptolemies and they know you know what the ptolemies did they called rome who was in control of jerusalem when christ came so during this time to get rid of Antiochus, the, Ro the rebellion asks Rome for help. And Rome says, sure. So they get some Roman help, and with that help, they get a little help, and they get their freedom. Rome conquers the Grecian Empire and never leaves Israel. They take the high priest and put who they want in, and they trade one oppressor for another. It's like the history of man all over again, right? This is what we do. This is what the kingdoms of men accomplish. This is why God says the kingdoms of men are like beasts. You remember in Daniel? First you have this, the dream in Nebuchadnezzar. He sees all the kings of men, gold, silver. But God later gives a vision to Daniel, and what does he see? Beasts. One beast, after another beast, after another beast, after another beast, all the way until Jesus Christ comes, 
and destroys the beast. And this is what is being focused on here. Now we have Antiochus as a picture of what Antichrist is going to be like. These are the kind of attitudes that we're going to see. Now, Luke 21, 24 says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, talking about Israel, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. How long? Until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What does Daniel say about all these kings? Until the appointed time. Until the appointed time. Until the appointed time. God sets the boundaries. When we reach those boundaries, there's a shift. There's a change. There will be one last rebellion against God. Right? The Bible talks about it. The book of Revelation talks about it. We're going to see one last rebellion put down, that rebellion put down by Jesus Christ when he returns. Amen? We're going to see that. But it says Israel is going to be trampled underfoot. Now the question is, how long is the time of the Gentiles? When's it going to end? I don't know. Do you? Me neither. Until the appointed time. When God says, that's when it's going to end. You've heard me many times. People like to talk about 1948, Israel becomes a nation. Hey, that's a miracle, right? A, a language, all that. I'm not, I'm not denying the, the miracle of Israel's existing, the existence of Israel. I'm just saying that's not the thing. That they've never had control of the temple area since Babylon took the temple down. Who had control of the temple area when it was rebuilt? The Medo-Persian Empire. Who had control of the temple after the Medo-Persian Empire? The Greeks. Who had control of the temple after the Greeks? Rome. Who has control of the temple today? It's not Israel. It's, you go there today, and the Muslims are in control of the Temple Mount. Unless they want to start World War or whatever we're on now. If we all want to pitch in. But the, right? So you don't, there's no control in that area. Now, here's what we know. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, as far as we'll go, and we'll talk about this more next time as we look to the future Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us that there will be a man of sin, the Antichrist, right? The Bible talks about there have been many Antichrists, there have been many rebellions, many armies of men in opposition to God. There'll be one last one. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us he's going to stand where he ought not and declare himself to be God. That's what the Bible says. Now we infer that that means he's going to stand in a temple like Antiochus did. It doesn't necessitate that, just so you know. It doesn't say he's going to stand, in, it just says he's going to stand where he ought not. You could probably accomplish the same thing if the Antichrist goes to Israel and the Temple Mount, sets up, sets up a statue of himself, heard this somewhere in the book of Revelation, and then commands all people to bow down and worship the image. What did they call that? The image of the... So you guys have heard that before, right? It's, that would probably violate it the same way. But the point is, there's another world leader coming, and that is the one that Jesus, the rock, not cut out, 
by man from the heavens will strike the statue, all the kingdoms of earth, and destroy them all and set up the kingdom of God. Right? This is our great hope. Our great hope, looking for the return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? So a lot of people will say, well, what, what has to happen? What has to happen for these things? That What are we looking for? What's next on the agenda? Well, come next week and we'll talk about it. Sound like a plan? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can come together. We thank you for the truth of your word, God, that, that this is not the only time in Scripture, Lord, where you told us what was going to happen before it happened. And it happens, we can see right alongside of a history book, the exact events laid out before us. So God, I just pray that you would help us to learn, Lord, that you are in control. doesn't matter what it looks like, what it seems like is going on. Sometimes we think, Lord, that you're, you've forgotten. You're letting things run out a different way. But Lord, your word declares to us, that there are appointed times. That the ocean is set in boundaries. That the sea can only come so far. Not because of anything other than the fact that you say, God, this far and no further. So, Lord, we look the same way. Help us to have comfort and peace in wild times. We look at the world events and we see so many things going on. In the world around us, help us to know, Lord, that you have all of this in your hand. You are accomplishing your purpose. Nothing will happen that is not coming from your purpose, Lord. And that you'll be glorified in and through it all as you put this to rest. There will be a day and there will be no more tears. There will be a day when there will be no more sorrow. There will be a day when you will return and you will defeat the last enemy. And you will be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So God, we look forward to that reality. We look forward to the promise, Lord, that you will come for your church. That there will be a day when the trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air together to be with you. So, Lord, we thank you for the truth that all of history is your story, and it's all moving toward your conclusion. So, God, help us walk in faith and trust in you as we read our newspaper and look at the news. For you, God are in control and we give you all the praise for it in jesus name amen